This, is a, this week has been spring break for a lot of our kids. I don't know if, if uh, your kids were on spring break this week. Mine were on spring break, and so that's been a lot of fun, uh, getting to take that little time off of school and you know, kind of catch their breath. Um, I asked my kids, what, what was your favorite moment of spring break this past week? And uh, they got to do a couple of things. They got to go swimming at one time, and, but they, they got to go to the lease, which is where Pastor Popol uh, of theirs goes and uh, on some times of the year he goes and kills animals but um <laughs> right right but but they went up there and they get to go camp out and they did all they just had a blast up there it's like really really good for them too because if you're if your kids are like mine they spend a lot of time in front of like the television and inside and things like that a lot of, you know electricity and so it was great they got to run run and play and and do things like that and I asked them well, what was what was the greatest part of your whole week and the greatest part of their week they got to jump over a snake and they got to go to the bathroom outdoors <laughs> that was they were like that was amazing. So that's what does it for, for my kids. Um, those of you who have to spend a lot of money, you know, like going to Disney World and stuff like that, <laughs> joke's on you. Because there's a cheaper way to make them happy. Hallelujah. Uh, let's see. Also, I just want to give a little encouragement. Some of you, uh, this is Palm Sunday, so we, you know, we're coming up on a certain amazing day coming up in seven days from now. Some of you who have been uh, jumped fully into that Lenten season, you've been uh, fasting something, fasting uh, some food or fasting some sort of uh, luxury or something like that to get closer to the Lord, preparing your hearts over these past 40 days. I just want to give you an encouragement. You are coming up on, on the end of it here. Six more days, six more days. Um, hallelujah, if that's you. And uh, you know what? Something else, if you haven't, if, if you're like, oh, I haven't really done anything for Lent or anything like that, this would be a fantastic week for you to begin to call yourself to a fast. Amen? Fasting this, this coming week, um, I'm going to be doing that, so I just invite you to join with me in whatever the way the, the, the Lord leads you to do that. Uh, but you could do a lot worse things than fast these days uh, coming up towards Easter and also, just to remind you, this Tuesday night will be our last, our final of our all-church call to prayer uh, rallies that we're going to have before Easter. So join us this Tuesday night, 7 p.m. We're just praying for God uh, to, do, to have his will uh, this coming uh, Easter and uh, to, to draw the people in who need to hear his message. And uh, so come join us Tuesday night. That's going to be amazing. It's going to be fun. All right. Hallelujah. Well, we are talking about Palm Sunday today. Palm Sunday is the day that we recognize uh, as an, it's a very important event in the life of Jesus. And it's become known as the triumphal entry. The triumphal entry. This was the Sunday just before the crucifixion. Jesus enters into the city of Jerusalem. And the crowds are praising him as he, as he comes, as he comes walking in. Now, it's the, very, it's the beginning of a really tumultuous week. I mean, this week is packed in the life of Jesus. It's his final week on earth. And the story of the triumphal entry is interesting. It's one of the few stories, there's a few other ones, but it's one of the few stories, uh, incidents in the life of Jesus that appears in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are a lot of different incidents in Jesus' life that appear in one, two, or three of the Gospels, but this one appears in all four of them. And so when you put the four accounts together and read them together, it becomes clear this was not only a significant event in the 
life in the day of Jesus, but it's, it's a significant event to Christians throughout history. Um, now, what you and I have the benefit of knowing from, the, from here in time, uh, being forward in time, is that this event was significant for very different reasons than probably the people who were even there realized. Amen. So let's look at, uh, we're going to look at Matthew, this is chapter 21, starting in verse 1. And as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say, that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter Zion, See, your kingdom comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And it says, uh, The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees, these were palm trees, and spread them on the road. Now, uh, let's see. Let's see. Did someone went? Oh, let's see. We're a little behind there. How about that one? There we go. Is that it? Yeah. Okay. Now, what's sobering about this course, this course of events is, is this is happening here. Of course, we know what is about to happen. Within 48 to 72 hours later, there's a turn of events that start setting, that get set in motion, that, are, that change the ministry of Jesus, that change the course of mankind. Um, there are more verses devoted to this week of Jesus' ministry, this, this last week, than any other single week in the entire Bible. It's like, it's like all of the Gospels are filled with these snapshots, these beautiful snapshots of Jesus and these sermons that he taught and these miracles that he did. But it's like when we get to that last week, if this, if this were a movie, it's like, it's like the camera pans down really, really close right here on this last week. And it slows down and we get to see almost every single thing that happens in this week. It's, it's an amazing thing. Um, and, and what's ironic is we look at the triumphal entry. It's this moment of, of celebration of who Jesus is, but it's also a celebration, more accurately, of who he wasn't. I, I think a little cultural, a little historical background might be interesting for us. It might be helpful. Uh, in the time of Jesus, something like this actually happened quite often. Kings would often perform. It was kind of a grand piece of street theater. The kings would do this, um, and especially when they would conquer a city. Or sometimes if they had just been gone for a while and they were returning from war, for instance, or something like that, the kings would come back. They'd been gone for a long period of time. And as they approached the gates of the, the capital, uh, they would come with their enormous entourage behind them and all of the chariots and all of the generals and the army would be following them. And the, usually the king would be on a majestic horse, some sort of white war horse or something. And, uh, and he'd be leading everyone. And there'd be tons of fanfare and the trumpets, you know, and they're all make, you know, making away. That's what it sounds like. Um, and the king would march through the gates to take his rule and reign in the city. This is something that was commonly done. And it, and it was a way to establish their might and their majesty. And you see this played out over and over in history. You can see the accounts. Kings coming into their city. 
and what the population of the city would do when, you know, when they knew he was coming. They, they would line the roads leading up to the city gates, and, and often they would lay down palm branches. It was a way to show their, their reverence and their awe of the coming king. In fact, just about 300 years before this was happening, before Jesus, in 332 BC, Alexander the Great made his way into Jerusalem. He had come fresh off of conquering the cities of Tyre and, uh, and, and, and Gaza, and he marches into Jerusalem, and they said he marched right in, uh, and, and Jerusalem opened her gates without even a fight, because they, they knew there was no way to stand up against him. So this is something that happened quite often. Now here's what's really cool. This is really cool, because not only was this a common occurrence in the days of Jesus, but this very thing was actually happening on, in, on the very same day that Jesus was entering the city. Jesus, it says, enters the city from the east. He comes down the Mount of Olives. We got a chance to see that, that view when we were in Israel earlier this year. And it was an amazing thing, standing on this beautiful hilltop, the Mount of Olives, and you're looking down towards the old city, and you can see the ruins of the the eastern gate that Jesus walked through, and that prophecy tells us he will one day walk through again. Amen? Hallelujah. And, And so it says that Jesus went through there. What was happening at the same moment is history tells us that because it was the beginning of Passover week, a grand Roman imperial procession was also entering Jerusalem at the same time from the other gate, from the other side of the city. So we know this because it happened every year. Every year, the Roman governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate, would make his way, at the same time of year, he would make his way from his seaside city of uh, Caesarea, and he would come from the coast, from the west into the city, and ride up to be present during the time of Passover. And this was really important for the Romans because Passover was kind of a tumultuous time. And so what they would do, there were often, very, very often times, there would be uh, demonstrations and riots and things at Passover. Passover was a time of memories for the Jewish people. And, and, uh, and it, it, it was a blatant celebration of the liberation of the Jews, if you remember, from uh, slavery in Egypt. And so Passover was a time when all the emotions would be brought to the surface, and there would often be these riots that went on in the streets. Passover was was full of demonstrations, and it was a reminder to the Jews that Rome had effectively become the new Egypt, and that they were not free. Um, And so Pontius Pilate would come, and accompanying him would be a huge cavalry of uh, Roman imperial troops there to reinforce the Roman garrison that was already in the city. So they would make their presence known. This happened every year. And so from the West, imagine this. We have this Roman imperial procession entering the city with all the pomp and pageantry and power that it was supposed to exude. And the roads would be lined with people, probably forced to be out there, you know, cheering um, for Pilate as he rode in because he was not beloved at all. It was this blatant display of of empire, empire in the flesh. That's what was going on there. The generals and the governors would be on their powerful horses, and and they would uh, be surrounded by foot soldiers and banners and golden eagles and drums banging. That's what was going on on the west side of the city. Meanwhile, in the eastern gate, a peasant procession. 
You just picture this is going on. They could probably hear what was happening on the west. They could probably hear the entrance of the Romans over there. But on the east side, Jesus was riding. Not a majestic stallion, not followed by an army, but sitting on a donkey, a humble animal. And, and, and some of the other accounts even, even tell us that if that wasn't humble enough, it was a donkey being followed by its foal. So it's like a nursing mother is this donkey, and Jesus is on this with the little colt running beside it. And it wasn't even his. It's a borrowed animal, right? <laughs> it's borrowed. I mean, the, it couldn't, you couldn't get more of a humble Absolutely. contrast to what's going on in the Western Gate. Two very different and contrasting visions of how this world can be and how this world should be. The kingdom of God versus the kingdoms and and the powers of this world. You have a king of conquest over there, here to be served. And over here, the king of glory who's entering to serve, here to serve. In verse 9, it says that the crowds went ahead of Jesus And those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. One of the interesting moments that's going on here. This is one of those times where the atmosphere and the reality of what was happening may not actually match. Now, I'll explain what I mean. Or, or maybe they, they match by accident. Have you ever responded the right way uh, by accident to something? Yeah. You didn't know you were res- responding correctly? Like someone tells a joke to someone, and you're sitting there and you laugh at it, but it really didn't make any sense to you because it was an inside <laughs> joke. But you responded properly, but it was completely by accident. Um, it's, it's almost like that. It's almost like that's going on here. It's as if these people are praising Jesus. They somehow, they got the narrative right. They got the idea, we're supposed to be praising this guy. They got that right, but it's for all the wrong reasons. Jesus enters Jerusalem, and they celebrate him. And they begin to declare him the, the king, and they're, lavish him, they're lavishing him with praises. Hosanna in the highest. They're blessing him as the Messiah. He's their Messiah. And all of these feelings are provoked in these people by the, by the coming of Jesus into Jerusalem. Because they, they know too, hey, this, this looks like the prophecy, right? He's riding on a donkey. This is it. Isaiah's coming to pass. And so it's fair to say that all of their, uh, everything they were saying and all of their emotions, they were absolutely proper. They were absolutely true and right. But they were doing it for all the wrong reasons. They had no idea who Jesus really was or why he was. They were worshiping Jesus for who they hoped he would be for them, which I think may be a pretty near picture of a situation for a whole lot of people today in their actions and their attitudes towards God. We worship him sometimes for who we hope he's going to be for us. This is one of those moments where we're reminded that you know, sometimes why we worship God, it, at first, it may move us closer to the presence of God. It may move us closer to the God, and that's good. 
But the real reason why we're worshiping him may not actually be the, the reason we should be worshiping him. In, in verse 10, it says that others, when they saw what was going on in, as Jesus entered, the whole city was stirred and they asked, what did they say? Who is this? And the crowds answered, it's Jesus. It's, it's the prophet from Nazareth. We have to understand, these people, these people had so much invested in this moment. We can't even imagine. They were believing. They were so convinced that Jesus was the Messiah, the prophet, the descendant of David that was prophesied. He was going to be their deliverer, their savior, the one that was promised, the one spoken about a thousand years earlier by Isaiah. And throughout the scriptures, this was the one. And so finally, they're in this culminating moment, right? And they thought Jesus is going to be this king to us. And they celebrated him. But we find really quickly that the tables get turned almost overnight. Everything that they celebrated him for, they would eventually be disappointed in him for. I wonder how many of us, we, when we first enter into a relationship with God, when we have that first religious experience, you know, whatever that is for you, that life of worshiping God, how many of us, we do it for who we see God to be rather than for who God really is in reality? Because so often God is, he's so often the God that you didn't know you needed. Amen? The God you didn't know you needed. There's this disconnect often between who we want God to be and who God is. But even more than that, there's this disconnect between who we want God to be and who we actually need God to be. He's the God sometimes that we didn't even know we needed. So ironically, when you think about it, the, the people who were, it says who were stirred in the city, who were standing afar and saying, who is this? Really, they, those people might have been having a more authentic moment than the people throwing branches and singing Hosanna. And praising God. Because some of those people, the people with the palm branches, some of those people were probably missing the point. They didn't understand that Jesus was coming to die. They didn't understand that at this moment, Jesus was coming to become the lamb of sacrifice, to take away the sins of the world. He wasn't coming to conquer Rome, right? He wasn't coming to set up some new political leadership. Jesus wasn't entering Jerusalem to free them from the Roman Empire. He wasn't coming to establish Israel as, you know, reestablish them as, as a great, powerful nation and restore the power to the Jewish people, which is what they so longed for. I, I mean, I could put myself in their position. It's what they so longed for. And they thought it's finally at hand, the coming of their warrior king, because they thought this is the God that we need. This is the king that we need. They didn't know the God that they really needed. Probably, if a lot of those people with the palm branches had understood what was about to happen, why Jesus was really there, there would not have even been a, much of a crowd at all. And I think so often God allows it to play out like this in our lives. Often we show up to God. We show up to find him but we're showing up for all the wrong reasons. We show up for all the wrong reasons. And God in his wisdom and his mercy 
allows this. Because he knows how desperately we need him. Even if it's really for reasons we can't even fathom yet. And, And then in the process, hopefully what happens is we come to see him for who he really is and what he really offers us. And soon that God that we didn't even know we needed becomes the God that we couldn't live without. The God we couldn't live without. I look back at my own life, um, and I have to admit, I don't think my uh, search for God was necessarily that pure in, in motivations. In, in my 20s, when I finally surrendered to the Lord uh, and gave Him my heart, I have to admit, I was mostly just sick and tired of being confused and angry. Anybody else like that? I was tired of doing things my own way, tired of, of failing. Not to mention that uh, the fact that was that at this exact season in my life, at that exact season, I was trying to get in really good with this girl who was really cute, <laughs> really righteous, God-fearing girl named Melissa. And uh, I knew this girl is not going to waste her time on some bitter agnostic who smelled like cigarettes. So my motivations were not necessarily angelic, turning to God. It wasn't necessarily this storybook picture of, you know, this pure-hearted love for Jesus right away. I wasn't necessarily just struck by the majesty of God, you know, at the beginning of it all. I was mostly just tired of feeling like a loser, and I was looking for meaning and a hot wife. (laughs) I'm just being honest. Is that okay? Um, I just shattered all your perceptions of me. I'm sorry. (laughs) You know what's so cool? God took me anyway. He took me anyway. I I thought what I wanted from God was one thing. I had a whole list of things that I needed from God. And Jesus turned out to be the God that I didn't even know I needed. Sometimes we look for God because we've messed up. Right? Right? We've hit the end of our rope. We blew it. We've done that big thing. Okay, I need God now because nothing else is going to get me out of this, right? Or, or we're just tired of the way life's going. Maybe we need a new career. We're desperate for excitement or meaning or fulfillment. You know, these, these, are, these are good things. What's amazing to me is that God, even when he sees all of our petty, self-absorbed motivations, even when he sees that, he doesn't turn us away. He lets us come in. He's happy to see us. You ever watch like, I don't know if you do, but these old kung fu movies. There's always like the Zen master who lives on the mountain that everybody wants to go and visit and have him train them. And in these movies, it never feels the Zen master. You climb up the mountain. You have to climb all the way up this really hard mountain. You have to be really pure in heart. And, and then, you know, you knock on the door like day after day after day. And then someday he, he'll open the door and then he tells you, no, I'm not going to teach you these lessons because you're not asking for the right reason. And I don't know, it's, it's, it's one of these common tropes. And so, uh, and I think that's so awesome that God accepts us all. He accepts everybody who comes and knocks on the door. He says, come and knock on the door and it shall be open to you. Seek and you'll find, Right? He, he accepts us when we come to the house of God from whatever direction we're coming, from whatever ulterior motives going on, whatever last resort we think this is. Oh, my goodness. 
Sorry. That's embarrassing. Stop texting me, whoever's texting me. Zach, I'm watching you. He, he lets us come. He lets us come see him from whatever, door we're, whatever direction we're coming in. And he opens the door. He doesn't leave us out there. He doesn't wait till we're pure in heart and have perfect motivations. He opens the door because he says, you're my child. We're going to work with whatever we got here. We'll start from here. Because he's not a Zen master. He's your dad. And he loves you. He doesn't want you to have to jump through hoops. He meets us where we are. And what I love about God so much is we can come into his presence for all the wrong reasons and we can leave for the right ones. He's so good. I remember growing up, I had a friend who uh, went to youth group and everybody knew why he was at youth group. It was for the girls, right? He, and, and we'd ask him, like, why are you coming here? Because he didn't seem that spiritual person. And, and he would say, the, the chicks, man. Um, and that was just, you know, and I remember thinking, that's not a very good reason to be a youth group. But of course, you know, if I was seeing through God's eyes, God'd be like, I'm just glad he's here, right? On the other side, I had this other friend growing up who, when I was, oh, I was a little older, I had this friend who, who wouldn't go to church. And I wouldn't even really serve in the Lord at the moment, but I would ask him, like, why don't you go to church? And he'd say, all the hypocrites, man. Hypocrites. Church is full of hypocrites. And like I said, I mean, we weren't serving the Lord. We were probably sitting in a bar at the time, and I'm looking around going, dude, that's a dumb reason not to go somewhere. I mean, you don't think there's any hypocrites in here? I mean, man. You are destining yourself to a, a lonely life if that is your standard of perfection for the people you hang out with. They can't be hypocrites. It's like, man, hip, church is where hypocrites need to be, right? There's a lot of hypocrites here. I, I'm probably one of them, and, and uh, this is exactly where we need to be. We need Jesus more than anybody. Hallelujah. Amen? Amen. Amen. So when it comes to God, we come for our own motivations. I came to God for a list of my own reasons, but but I stayed for more. I stayed the more I entered into a relationship with God, right? Amen. The more you get to know him, the more you, get, the more you trust him, the better you trust him. And, and some of you know what I'm talking about. Maybe, maybe you looked for a church when you were searching for a church, and maybe you looked for a place that had really good programs, you know, a church with great Bible studies or great programs or something like that for your kids, and those are awesome. Maybe you looked for a church and you, you, know, you liked one church because it had like great preaching. You just liked the style of the preaching. It was really good. Maybe you liked the worship. The music was just off the charts. It was amazing. Maybe they had a good volleyball club or something. I don't know. But whatever reason, you went to the church. But hopefully over time, something happens after you get plugged into a church, right? And you realize what it means to be part of a community of people, Right? And to be part of people who are on a mission that is bigger than any of us. And, and then you realize that coming to church on Sunday doesn't provide nearly the joy and the satisfaction that serving on Sunday has. Right? Boom! Then your world's wide open. Because all of a sudden, you're, you're not just coming to church. You're becoming the church. Right? And then you realize after that, you realize that having Jesus in your heart is awesome and all, but it's only half the picture. And that really being a disciple means making disciples and, and engaging with people in your everyday life. And then things really open up. 
God becomes who you never realized you needed. And, and you're allowing Jesus not just to come first in your life, but you're allowing him to permeate every single part of your life, right? I think so, we need to stop making God Jesus first in our life and make him the center of our life. We need to make him everything in our life. That is when everything becomes, it, it really makes you feel alive. Hallelujah. By the way, next Sunday is Easter. You knew I was going to say this. <laughs> now, Easter is an interesting day. It is a day that people who do not even believe in God are willing to come to church. I'm not sure why, but it is a day when all bets are off and everything is possible. Okay? What's funny is there's folks who only come to church on Easter, and they think we talk about the same thing every time. <laughs> right? They're like, man, those people, they just talk about resurrection. Every time I go, that's all they preach about, right? They don't realize there's like 51 other really great stories about God we want to tell them. Um, just come the next week. It's, it'll be different, I promise. Um, but this week, this week, no matter how shy you are or awkward you feel or no matter how hard-hearted your neighbor seems to you, this week you can invite someone to come with you next Sunday, and be part of this, this celebration. And strangely enough, those people that will say no to you 51 other weeks of the year, they will say yes this week. This week. There's something powerful happening. This is the week where people who have walked away from God, maybe they feel far from God right now, they will start thinking about God again this week. And it might be because, you know, they're getting the little flyers in the mail from different churches. They're seeing signs or something, right? Or Walmart has an Easter sale or something like that. Something is triggering it inside them. Maybe they're, they're, they'll start remembering something from their childhood or something. That time in their life when just things seem simpler or something, you know. They might have just some pleasant memory of bunnies and hunting for eggs and things like that, right? It may not be some grand glorious motivation, it might just be something that's, that struck them. It may not be a massive dose of spiritual conviction for their sins or something. But you know what? Jesus would say, that's cool. I'm just glad you're, you're here. Whatever reason you're thinking about God this week, I'm just glad you are. So, and believe me, this week they are thinking about it. Your neighbor is thinking about it this week. It's on his mind. And their curiosity will be piqued. And if you happen to walk into their life and say, hey, I'm going to be going to Generations this Easter Sunday. Can I bring you? If you ask him that, you know what they're going to be thinking? Whoa. I was just thinking about that. <laughs> right? And see, and, and their inner conviction, their, your invitation and, and their conviction are going to cross paths. Because see, there's something else going on this week that we can't see, and that is the Holy Spirit. He's going to be very busy this week. He's very busy convicting and pulling and tugging. The Holy Spirit is very busy this week. Let's not be lazy and leave him doing all the work. They're going to wonder. Your neighbor's going to wonder, is this God? Man, that's like a sign. Is this God speaking to me, pursuing me? See, you could actually be part of the conversation that God is having with somebody this week. Who's your neighbor? It, it's time to invite someone to church. Who is your neighbor?
Now, back to Palm Sunday. It's, what's cool to me is how intentional Jesus is with everything that he does. Nothing's by accident. Nothing is by accident. It's no accident that Jesus rode into the city on a donkey, just as was prophesied. It's no accident that he was riding in through one gate at the exact moment this grand military processional was riding through another gate. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, even if all those people cheering for him didn't even realize, even if they didn't fully get it. What they thought was the beginning of some revolutionary new reign in Jerusalem, Jesus knew was really the beginning of the end of his ministry here on earth. Because Jesus was the king that they didn't know they needed. Jesus was coming not to rule, but to die. When he entered into Jerusalem, they thought he was coming with the purpose of being glorified in celebration. He was coming with the purpose to be glorified and sacrificed. Because Jesus was the Savior they didn't know they needed. And we can't really understand Palm Sunday. We would be just like these people with the palm branches. We can't understand Palm Sunday without looking ahead to Good Friday. Because there's a Good Friday coming. We won't hear the message of this carefully orchestrated, humble act of Jesus riding into Jerusalem unless we understand that, as he did, that Friday is coming. There's a Friday coming. And what this Palm Sunday reminds us is most of us, me included, we want to have the celebration without the sacrifice. And that's natural. Like I I like to say, it doesn't make you evil, it just makes you human. We want the celebration without the sacrifice. We want to come to God and find everything that we want in him. But what we need to realize is that for us to enter with Jesus through this Passion Week, we don't get to skip from the triumphal entry to the resurrection without passing through Good Friday. Between that Palm Sunday parade, Jesus knew. Between this parade and that resurrection is going to be a crucifixion. A good Friday. It it is a day I hate more than any other. And yet it's a day I love like no other. Because it's the day he saved all my sins. He saved me. He forgave all my sins. I hate that day and I love that day. Good Friday is when we arrive at that moment where all the plans of God come together. Thousands of years before, when man first made that decision to disobey God, to sin against God, he put a plan into action. And everything led up to that moment. Jesus betrayed, Jesus arrested, tortured, tried, crucified for us. For us. Not just the sins of the world, for your sins for my sins. We put him on that cross because someone had to do it. He did it because someone had to do it. And it really could only be one. It could only be him. When I think about the events of the last 24 hours or so that Jesus went through, I'm reminded again of how he is so often the king, the God, the savior we didn't realize that we needed. In the Garden of Gethsemane, 
It says that he was, that, that's where he was betrayed and arrested. The soldiers march up to him, and Jesus speaks first, and he says, who is it you're looking for? He, knows the, he knew the answer. He knew the answer to the question, just like he knows who you and I are looking for when we run to God. He knows the God we think we need, and it's, he knows that it's very likely a version of God we think we want, but it's not the one we really need. And when Jesus was being tried by the Romans, they were mocking him, they beat him, because they had no idea who was really in front of them. Pilate even asked him, are you a king? And he's mocking him. But just like those crowds that were singing Hosanna a few, week, a few days before, they were right. Pilate was right for all the wrong reasons. He was the king they didn't know they needed. And so today, Palm Sunday, we celebrate Jesus. We celebrate. And Jesus allows us to come to him for whatever reasons we've come up with. He allows us to welcome him into our city and with shouts of praise. But you know, Jesus, he's very faithful. And he faithfully and lovingly insists on leading us to that cross. The, the sign above Jesus said, here is the king of the Jews. Pilate put that crown of thorns on his head. They didn't realize how true this was. He's the king. He is the king. Someone has to pay the price for our sin. Someone has to pay the price for our healing that we ask him for, the healing of our wounds and the healing of our sicknesses. Someone has to be the forgiver and the deliverer in order for us to be forgiven and set free. It's, it, it's inescapable. The Good Friday is inescapable. And, and if you're going to experience the life that God has for you, then we have to journey through that Good Friday. We can't just show up at the empty tomb. We can't just show up at the after party, right? We have to pass by the cross because it's there we were forgiven. It's there where the Son of God was crucified so that you and I could have life in him, so that we could live in, a, in, in community with each other, and we could have a relationship without any pretense, without, without any masks or false righteousness. We can be real with each other because of what Jesus did. And so this week, Passion Week, I, I invite you to take some time to reflect, where are you on the calendar with Jesus? Do you just want to worship him when things are going good? Or, or when you're desperate? Are you just showing up for the victory parade? Or are you willing to follow him to the cross? And then are you willing to trust him all the way to the resurrection? And maybe you're here today. Maybe that's you, and you're, you're still processing this whole Jesus thing. You're still trying to make up your mind about it. You're trying to figure this whole thing out. Maybe, maybe you're like all of us are at some point. You're on a search for God. And I want you to realize that you're not alone. That's a good thing. You're not alone. Everyone who has ever come to God was where you are today. And, those re and the reason those words are, are recorded in Scripture, where the, the city, the people in the city was stir were stirred and they asked, who is this? The reason why those words are recorded is because that is exactly the right question to ask. Who is this? 
See, God is never offended by that question. He's never offended by your honesty to say, I don't know who this God is. I don't know who this is that y'all are making a big deal about, or I'm not sure how all this is supposed to play out. Those kind of questions, don't be afraid of them. Those questions won't slow you down. Honest questions will move you to God. And they will help you find him. Here's something that I know. There's a lot about God, and there's a lot about things that I don't understand, that I won't understand until I get to see him face to face and ask him. But here's something that I know, that I believe with my whole heart. That is that God is truth. He is truth. And truth has nothing to fear from scrutiny. Nothing to fear. So come to him. Ask, who is this? Who is this God? Get to know him. Because we believe the better you get to know him, the more you'll trust him. And the more he'll reveal his purpose for your life. The truth has nothing to fear. In fact, the only really dangerous place to be is to not ask the questions. To, to try to answer them yourself. To come up with your own answers out of your own wisdom without listening to what God is saying to you. That is a dangerous place. To create a God in your own image rather than seek after the God who created you in his. God wants to draw all of us into a relationship with himself. And I'll tell you, it'll get a little tense sometimes. Because when you start to pursue the Lord and he reveals himself to you, Sometimes you might realize that who you wanted God to be is not who you really need God to be. And it's not really who he is. And then you'll be faced with this stark reality that you don't get to choose who God is. He gets to choose who you are. God gets to choose who you are because he is God and we are not. Amen? And if you'll decide to follow him, I'll make this promise to you. If you'll decide to follow him no matter what, what God will begin to do is show you what your life will be like. He can show you what life can be like. And as you get to know God, and as you, you allow him to lead you to the cross, as you get to know the God that you never knew you needed, he'll show you the life that you never thought was possible. Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads with me. At this point, if you're here today and you're ready to surrender to him, whatever happens, you know you can't go on the way it's going. You know that's not going to work. And so you're ready for something different. You're ready to hand it over to Jesus. Hey, your motivations might not be completely pure but the Lord loves you so much. He is ready to start a relationship with you right now. And he'll get all your questions answered at some point. He'll help you. He'll guide you there. But right now, what he wants most is a relationship with you. And if that's you, I'm going to say a prayer, and I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. What I'm going to ask everyone to do is repeat after me this prayer. Here we go. Father in heaven, I surrender to you today. I'm tired of trying to do things my way. 
I'm ready to follow you wherever you lead me. And I proclaim Jesus as Lord of my life. I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. And I thank you for forgiving me and saving me from myself. And just as Jesus rose from the dead, I stand here today a new person with a clean slate, totally forgiven and set free. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down. And if that was you, if you prayed that today for the first time and you meant that, I'm going to ask you to do something. As our prayer partners are down here up front, after we close the service, everybody will kind of be meandering back there. And we ask you, if you're visiting with folks, just to kind of respect uh, the prayer that's going on down forward here, down front here. But if that was you today, if you prayed that, I invite you to come up and let one of these people know. These are wonderful people. They're full of faith. And they want to rejoice with you. Just let them know. I prayed that prayer today. And they will pray with you for God to continue leading you, for God to keep you in his hands, for God to continue revealing himself to you, because it's not the same when we pray. And I want to welcome you to the kingdom of God and to this family in Jesus' name. All right? You guys, y'all are wonderful. I love you. Hope y'all have a wonderful week. I hope to see every single one of you here Tuesday night for our prayer rally, our final prayer rally before Easter Sunday. And then I definitely want to see you here Easter. Don't come by yourself in Jesus' name. All right? Have a great day.